eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Longhorn Blitz listeners, this is Jeff Howe. And before Matt Rod and I get to the latest edition of the Longhorn Blitz podcast, I wanted to post a quick disclaimer at the beginning of this week's show. Not that any of us said anything controversial or anything of that nature, but a lot of the stuff we talked about as it relates to COVID-19 We got hit with a tidal wave of information right after we recorded this show. As I'm sure everybody has seen by now, University of Texas Interim President Jay Hartzell has announced that the school is looking at a 25% capacity limit for football games this fall. Also, we now have the ACC announcing they are going to the 10 plus 1 conference schedule model for 2020 and there are reports that the sec is leaning toward a conference only schedule so as it relates to the pandemic we did not want you our loyal listener to feel as though we mailed it in this week or giving you bad information uh it's just a case of horrible horrible timing uh as rod said when all the reports started to come out and we just left studio dot 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 and was linking to uh, all the stories coming out so uh, with that said, uh, we hope you do enjoy the discussion uh, of our thoughts uh, on scheduling and how Texas can play a non-conference schedule uh, as close to constructed previously as possible, along with our discussion on Chris Ash and the Texas defense. So with that said, uh, let's get on with this week's presentation. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets so. up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into the presentation today. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst here on Longhorn Blitz. He is Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? I am good. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. And he is such a renaissance man, he will take a music survey and have convincing research to let you know why he (laughs) believes Elvis Presley is overrated. (laughs) <laughs> I agree. Lifetime long work, 2002 UTL record, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats at the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. So, Rod, Appreciate it. for full disclosure, Craig Wayne and I on Light the Tower, which, by the way, you can hear on the horn weekdays from 10 to noon. Great program. Thank you, Rod. Yep. And you also get Rod on the triple option with RBKD from 3 to 7. Same with Rod, fun. Brad Kellner, and Kevin Dunn. Rod, like everybody else on air, has taken the music survey on Light the Tower. We have music survey Friday. It's a great bit. 
Because there's a Facebook music survey. The ticket in Dallas took it and ran with it. And we said, you know what? We like the Craig and I are just going to change our name. Like, you know how you have a song and then in parentheses, something else followed by a song? Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to change our name to officially it's going to be Light the Tower and in parentheses, the show that steals bits. We just, we're, we're, <laughs> Everybody we have, steals bits. We have no shame about stealing a bit. That's um, what radio is, a bunch of bit stealing. It's kind of like, uh, like football. Like, nobody's inventing yeah, their own stuff. Everybody's just, just putting their own spin on it. Pretty much. There you go. Yeah. So... We took the we did the music survey. Everybody's taking it, and everybody had their picks for most artists. They artist, band, act, whatever they feel is overrated. For instance, my pick for band I think is overrated is U two because I don't know when we. So apparently, at some point, people crowned U two like the greatest thing that had ever hit the airwaves that our ears have ever heard, and people love I just U2. I just didn't get that memo. Interesting. Uh, but I Rod, you said we got a lot of good songs. All right, you said you said Elvis. Not that I hate U two. I just think they're. As uh, as agreed. People make them out to be. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Rod, you said Elvis was overrated. Elvis was your pick for. Yeah, Elvis is Elvis. Elvis is still awesome. Still great. Still should get a lot of props. But Elvis is overrated. To call him the king of rock and roll is is overrated. I mean, during that time, there were other artists out there that were more talented than him. The country was not ready for the face of rock and roll, the most influential musical genre, arguably in history. To be, you know, a black person or a person of color. That just couldn't happen. So Elvis, and by the way, Elvis was great, but he was promoted really well. I forget the name, the Colonel. Colonel Parker. That really marketed him well. So it was a great marketing mind behind Elvis. And let's be honest, you go look at his first 20-something songs that he released. I would say more than half of those were covers. And a lot of covers early on for Elvis. And I think he originally... Just originally, and then later on, he started to have more of his own, you know, his own songs, mm-hmm. his own uh, creative songs. I don't whether he wrote them or not. At least they weren't covers. But a lot of his early hits were just—I mean, they were just covers. So he was kind of ripping off. Everybody did covers back then, but him doing the covers with that rock and roll twist, which was the most popular genre at the time. And it was something that people hadn't heard before, and it was going mainstream. He was the perfect guy to take it mainstream. And by the way, he was not a, a segregationist or anything. He actually was an integrationist. Elvis Presley admitted that, hey, man, I, I love that music, which was essentially crafted and cultivated by you know black people. And I, yeah, I loved it. And I was one of the few white people that was smart enough to say, hey, I'm going to take it mainstream. I'm taking this mainstream. This is going to be my style of music, not that he was trying to steal it. It was she was just the only one at the time that was willing, what they called race records or something like that, right? They called them race records, yep. and they had a you know they had a black uh, R and B charts, and they had the you know the white pop charts, and they were all different. And Elvis Presley was one of the first ones to really go uh, you know to the top of both charts, whether they you know the race records charts for black people, and also to the white pop charts. So he was transcendent. Not saying that, but. To call him the king of rock and roll, I think it does a disservice to the true history of rock and roll. That yeah, is and, why Rod is a renaissance man, because he can give you, he can make that claim and then give you all the data. He's still it. awesome. Yeah, and at yeah. the time, it was sort of more was an indictment of where America was and exactly. how America viewed music, because America was the one not listening to the black bluesmen of our country, and it got to the point that in when Elvis is exploding and blowing up, it's like all you have in America is Elvis. Meanwhile, what's going on in Europe, who is openly hearing this music, and it's like, this is amazing. And yeah, that's when the British invasion sort of comes in, and when mm-hmm. you have the Stones, the Beatles, you have Zeppelin, all come out yeah. in the mid-60s because over there, there was not some type of negative connotation to the music and the style. So they were able to go in, embrace it, and just go all in on it. There was just, I mean, if you followed the music industry in America around those times, it was not marketable like you just explained all the different reasons behind yeah. it and Elvis was the one that sort of wasn't going to deny his roots but he's in a system that it only was engineered one way through the pop way and yep. he went and was able to maximize it but it was like it also left it wide open where you have this bevy of like no rock bands from America that are as impressionable after him or big and it all comes from the other side of the earth because they're viewing it from non-biased eyes. Yeah, no, I agree. And honestly, if America was more inclusive at the time, there were a lot of young African-American rock and roll folks, you know, I mean, rock and Mm -hmm. roll uh, personas that probably could have uh, could have ridden that wave 
too, yeah. but uh, America was still dealing with its own issues with race. Took the British still invasion. Is, right? so the it British took invasion to the end was of Jimi Hendrix to America. And even, thought he was like the yeah. devil with his music because that. You know, he thought the same thing about Elvis, right? right? They yeah, thought, exactly. They was always a de- they had to they'd shoot. They had shoot him uh, when he did his television appearances. Exactly from you know the waist hips up. up, the waist up, because they didn't want to look at his hips. What they thought was a a crazy way of dancing. Which Elvis will tell you, like, hey man, I got from the blues clubs. Yeah, I went and got out. You know, from the he used to go to the black blues clubs and the way they would dance. Whether you're talking about Little Richard or you're talking about Chuck Berry at the time, I mean, you could argue those two guys could also be considered kings of rock and roll yep. as well. And then bled over. I mean, if you're from Austin, you know about the blues world because it's sort of the only reason that Austin is the live music capital of the world was because at that time in Texas, you couldn't find blues places to play. But Austin had some blues clubs back in the 70s that really brought people into town and started to find the people in Texas, like the young Stevie Ray Vaughan's and guys like that, mm-hmm. that sort of blurred those race color lines when you're going out to the clubs and it became standard to see white guys and black guys on stage together a ton. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys know, as you know, we, uh, and as the listening audience knows, we're dealing with our share of issues in America right now. One of those being COVID-19. And Rod, depending on, for one data set, how you Mm -hmm. interpret it, and the other data set, if you're going to take Crystal Conte at his word, it's good news and maybe bad news. I I don't know how you want to interpret it. But let's get to the the Crystal County portion of this. As it relates to Texas football, which is what we talk about on this podcast, he reported in his weekly 40 Acres Insider newsletter that the football program, along with volleyball and men's and women's basketball, dealing with zero active infections of COVID-19 right now. That is good news. So we've heard Tom Herman talk about it in recent interviews. He did uh, a webinar with the Touchdown Club of Houston. He did uh, ESPN's college football podcast. Tom Herman said he can't get into specific numbers, but he's felt like the worst is behind them. And this kind of goes in our reporting at Horns 24-7. Right around the first of the month, uh, you know, we reported that roughly one-third of the team was dealing with it in some way, shape, or form, either a positive test, presumed positive, and self-quarantine and self-isolation, what have you. But it sounds, based on what Chris Del Conte is saying and reading the tea leaves from what Tom Herman said, that the worst is behind them and they are going along as, you know, as they had planned on, mm-hmm. I should say, if I can find my words today. Uh, but, you know, this just got released today. So this is within like 12 hours of each other, these different news items coming out. And, Matt, you've got the numbers. So the New York Times did mm-hmm. a, I guess it was, Asking colleges and universities survey, to, they say. Uh, a survey to self-report COVID infections. Mm. Very and NCAA-ish. Texas, <laughs> <laughs> Texas reported, well, this isn't like the NCAA where you can self-report something and then they'll still hammer you after the fact. <laughs> uh, you only get hammered in the court of public well, opinion, theory, I guess. Some people are just like, yeah, oh, I give the New York Times my numbers. So, Matt, why, uh, what, uh, what was the number for Texas for? And these are COVID infections, COVID-19 infections. Since March 1st, 449 okay. is what Texas came down as the amount of cases that topped the list. And it said that if you go through the rest of the schools, you know, nationally, the second one was for UCF, Central Florida, which is also in a hot spot area. They were at 438. And then you had UGA, Georgia, 390, Washington down at 249. And, you know, you start looking at the one names of Texas schools and you see some like the UT. Medical Southwestern Center down, uh, I believe, in Galveston. It was like 207 and Rio Grande Valley with 95. And you're like, God, these are decent numbers. But then when you think about the self-reporting, you look down and it sort of just totally reminded me of the whole premise that you hear people like the president saying that, well, if you don't test, we aren't going to have any cases come up because you know how many Texas A&M reported? Two. Texas A&M has had two, which seems pretty... Is is this uh, students, faculty, staff? Yes. Well, I mean, this is self-reported. Self-reported. Yes, this is the same study to the New York Times. You would assume. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, it would be either as if they almost have a Mm -hmm. College Station-esque bubble, like the NBA, where you have 0 of 346 and 0 of 344 Mm -hmm. for the last two weeks on back-to-back ones where the bubble concept works. 
But if you also, say, weren't testing for many months or haven't been testing on campus, you could easily come back with only two cases, which seems, you're talking about a place 90 minutes from here, one with 449 at one extreme, the other at two. So, Rod, i get you in on this. So you take the Crystal Conte news, you take this and – the the number that Matt mentioned, what was it, 449 you said? Yep, okay. that's on the stage. So 449, in the grand scheme of things, I guess mm. you can look at that and whatever prism you want to view that through, go ahead and view it. But when you see a headline that says, Texas leads all colleges and universities across the country in COVID infection since March 1st, or it's the most infected school, that – that's obviously a little bit deceiving because when you look at the numbers, you say, okay, this it's a survey, so there's not complete data you're looking at yeah. from that deal. So if you're a te- basically, this is the question. If you're a Texas Longhorn fan and you're wondering, are we going to play football this fall, and you look at these two different data sets, the number the New York mm-hmm. Times obtained and what Crystal Conte has reported, yep. how do you put that together and view it and make it make sense? Oh, I don't know if it's going to make sense. Nothing makes sense. I mean, your state government is telling you one thing. Your city government is telling you another. Your executive leadership in the country is telling you one thing. And usually uh, you may have your local government telling you something else. So nothing really makes sense right now. And I understand why people in this country are frustrated. It's just a lack of leadership and a lack of uniform leadership at every level. And that goes to Texas, right? Because even right here, okay, so um, what's his name, Dr. Mark Escott, the public health director here in Austin, he's an interim public health director. I don't know how long that's going to last because I don't know how popular he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's for a lot of people. Uh, elections are coming up. But anyway, um, he said when he was asked about large gatherings, he got a question about UT football. And he said, um, we were caught a little off guard by the announcement that they intended to open the stadium with 50 percent capacity, which is in the neighborhood of 50,000 people in one place. He says the large gathering should be the last thing to open up again. He says disease is spread, still happening in baseball, which is a naturally socially distanced. He says he worries that disease spread in sports with college and high school age kids can impact people of color who are athletes and their families who are the least resourced to get the health care they need and at the highest risk in terms of hospitalization and death. He says having 50,000 people in one place is a bit of a reach and not really in the realm of reality right now. He said, I think college football in the fall is going to be a bit of a stretch. Now, also, like I said, guy, he's not popular, so don't be hitting us up via Twitter when you hear the Longhorn Blitz podcast. My point is there's a lot of different information. Yeah. Texas is a powerful entity in this state. They'll probably take their, their case, if you will, for 50,000 fans. They'll probably take their cues from the, the, the federal government here, which will be Governor Greg Abbott, and he is saying 50% capacity. And even if here in the city of Austin and they try to, you know, if they want to disagree with that or challenge Texas on that, they're probably going to lose. So yeah. and so now I'm not saying you should be on one side or the other. No, this is just facts. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you. Yeah, so I'm saying it's going to get political, which everything in this country uh, does. And Texas is going to win that political battle if the governor is going to allow 50 percent capacity. Yeah, they, they're going to try to have 50 percent, 50 percent of those fans and, and 50,000 around 50,000 fans. And that's because 70% of the revenue that comes from football games, it comes from butts in the seats yeah. and fans in the stands. They can only get so much. This is not the NFL. This is not pro sports. You can only get so much money through your television contracts in college. Yeah, and, and the way the college ones are worked out are tiered. It's not as if you can all put them on a tiered. Because you look at the pro leagues right now, they're maximizing everything oh, they're gonna they can. Yeah. They're, gonna put a, <laughs> they're almost catching up on the amount of games. Oh, and they're, they're having good. baseball doubled their amount of playoff games. And they need content. These television networks need more content. (laughs) And if you were able to get the ability to put these college games, every single one on Mm -hmm. a tier one, then you could add revenue collegiately. But there aren't plans to do it. It, it, The practicality to actually do that at this many numbers of schools becomes very hard. So the TV numbers 
can't elevate the way that the pro sports have been able to elevate their TV numbers by making every game national and playing six in a row, and then you catch up on the amount of national games really quickly. With Texas, it comes down to, like you said, whatever Abbott says, basically, and whenever the phase restrictions, if it's 25% or if it's 50%, and then if he says one thing, uh, you quickly, as a state university, just be like, oh, well, I mean, what are we to do? we got to coincide with our governor. Exactly. (laughs) And then at that point, it gets like – you, you may see phases come down. We have seen Abbott the last couple of weeks change his stance on a That's lot true. of things yeah. and actually pull back a lot of stuff. So maybe I think right now it's always planning for multiple options, as we've heard throughout the four. And they have to plan definitely for 50 in case it happens because oh, yeah. if it does happen and you aren't planned for that then that's when you're totally screwed yeah. and that's when everybody gets sick so you can plan for it and still be dialed back and you know if you, we yeah. were to give opinions that may happen but just looking at the facts and how it should probably play out just wait and see what the governor says and just to give everybody you know to make sure that we're and then the city. not taking a political side here uh, when we talk yeah. about the governor's involvement uh, the UIL is dealing with the same thing, and high school sports are dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I had Matt Stepp, who's the a good friend of mine, but he's the insider for Dave Campbell's Texas football. And Matt's dialed in at all levels of high school football in the state and basically said because you've got now with the high schools, what they're dealing with is, and those of you outside of Texas, just to kind of give you guys an idea, those of well, yeah. you who are in state probably Different know this ISDs. already. Well, you've got counties saying, okay, mm-hmm. you're shutting down until such and such date. Now you've got the attorney general issuing legal guidance that says, yeah, county, authority, county, you really don't have the authority to do that. Uh, we're leaving it up to the school districts. So now in Conference 4 and below where the UIL said, hey, we're just saying if you want to start when you're supposed to, then you can. We're not telling yeah. you you can't. We're saying if you want to, yeah. you can. <laughs> now all these 4A and under coaches in the state are saying, hey, Leadership. we're starting Monday business as usual because the attorney general. What's going to have to happen, though, is different point, school districts can depend on their resources right. differently. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got, you've got some, depending on, you know, whether you're in Harris County, Tarrant County, Travis County, mm-hmm. you might have school districts. And I know uh, Round Rock ISD deals with this. You've got schools. Your district spreads across different counties. Yeah. So which county Ooh. ordinance oh, works for the school oh, district? I didn't even think about yeah. that. Yeah. So, but basically wow. what the UIL is facing, what high school sports yeah. are facing and is. And Wilco and Travis the, are about as different as it gets. The, author- the authoritative <laughs> voice is going to have to be for high school sports, Governor Abbott saying, here's here's the guidelines and here's what you can do. Everybody's Just like the it. mask mandate in the state. I mean, different counties had different, but it came from Governor Abbott having to say, this is what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. That's eventually where it's leading. Okay, yeah. uh, so Texas, as far as the football program goes, as far as the Longhorns go, you're going to follow what the conference says, obviously. But when it comes to local issues, Rod, I'm, I'm with you. It's going to have to be if Travis County and the city of Austin says, well, you can't do a large gathering. Uh, I would think Crystal Conte and Jay Hartzell are going to go to Governor Abbott and say, hey, you're <laughs> saying 50%. We're being told we can't. Right? You're going to have to come in and do something. And the Aggies are going to go there, and one of the few times they're going to go hand in hand and go, yeah. hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Governor Abbott, uh, the Aggies and the Longhorns both agree that 50% capacity sounds reasonable. We can make that work safely. Like Ross Bjork. Uh, and like, like, we have two cases. We'll go 100. It's like Ross Bjork and Chris Del Conte going like arm in arm, arm around each other into the governor's office. Seriously. So, I mean, so I'm not saying either way, but it's going to get political. But I think ultimately you're going to get your football. And Chris Del Conte has been optimistic about trying to get fans. I remember when he was at 100%. I remember when he went down to 75%. I remember now he's sticking at 50 because that's what the governor says. If, if he has to go below that, he'll adjust it and go to that number or whatever it is. I think he wants to have fans in the stands. We know season ticket holders are going to be the priority. And they got to try to do it as safely as possible. I think Texas can. I mean, we sort of heard the good news about – the, the, the some of the fall sports that they've been testing and how they've got a zero positive test rate. After. So- soccer is onboarding this week. They're, okay, so we'll the see about one. them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I think if it, listen, Texas can handle it. If I if there's another institution, I'd be a little worried about them having the resources to be able to safely bring in fans and how would they do it. But CDC is uh, we know more than competent. Okay, mm-hmm. so he's gonna have very creative solutions and they'll have the resources to have the hand sanitizer and to have everything cleaned and sprayed down and sanitized and I mean the mass mandate is oh man that that's going to be hell that's going to obviously enforcing that is going to be tough in the stadium of that many people mm-hmm. having I don't I, I mean what do you do if somebody doesn't want to put their mask on and then 
you know, they're around other fans. They're like, hey, put your mask. You know, well, once you pay up, to go in, you're going to have to. It's just like any other situation. It's just like you but, get kicked out of a concert if you start smoking when you can't in a place. Like, yeah, the same report, idea. I guess they'll have to have a line where, like, you can report them. You ain't, you ain't got to address them. Well, they'll you have just, a text. We'll have something well, they, where you they, can. Because yeah, they like text a, in. It has a thing at the line, bottom of the statement. It or says, you can. They you already have a report somebody in, in, like, in uh, the stadium. Yeah. If you look at the bottom of the Megatron yeah. or whatever, it totally says agree. text these issues to this there number. They already have it set up almost, so but it's just go. nobody cared about it before. Yeah. And then now they also, the way you do the, in terms of tickets, not tickets, but the line to get in mm-hmm. or who are showing their tickets, that can't be what it usually is. So they have to come up with some solutions, but Texas can do it. No, I, I think one, everybody. one of the things I was thinking about is typically you have that hard, fast rule, gates open two hours before kickoff. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have to do it six hours before. And you may. If Let you, them in early if, if you're, they want to If come. you're in Section 21 and you know, kickoff's at 7 o'clock, man, if you want to get there at 1 o'clock and bake in the sun to feel like you're safe in your seat, then we'll give you that opportunity. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You're right. Yeah, Rod, there's a lot of stuff that – I don't even know how you handle that. There's a lot of stuff that we're that nobody's thinking about. Like, yeah. Okay, you can give them the green light, but you've got to have – This is and this is why anytime anybody asks me, I'm like, the biggest part of Chris Del Conte's day is making plans and contingency plans for those plans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. He's, just, he's, he's, yeah. he's all – Chris Del Conte is no different than any of mm-hmm. us other than he's making those decisions, but you're completely dealing in hypotheticals right Sitting now. Sitting around theorizing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, let me give you a different, what could happen, what could go wrong. Let me give you guys a different hypothetical, and I thought about this, and this won't happen, but I just decided in my head to, guys, I guess never say never, but it's a 99.9999999% chance this won't happen. <laughs> so the NCAA is given the blanket waiver. If you want to have your opener on August 29th, you can. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the state of Florida is a hotspot state, and we mm-hmm. know with the Marlins and Major League Baseball and their travel issues with their COVID infections, and that's kind of thrown – I would imagine Phillies fans and Yankees fans aren't happy because now they're missing baseball because I guess a couple Florida of Marlins players decided <laughs> yeah. Florida just straight man. up they Florida. wanted to yeah <laughs> they wanted to get South out of Atlanta Beach. and have a good time. Florida <laughs> man's just Florida man's not having a good 2020. Let's put it that way. Agree. But uh, so I thought about this. So I started looking at kind of what you what can you do, Rod? What would be like if I if I'm Crystal Conte? What would I do to make the schedule number one palatable for the mm-hmm. fans, but to tell Tom Herman, hey, do you like the schedule? So, take that South Florida South, and, and this is this the fifty percent got me because you need you're gonna need revenue to do this. You can't just mm-hmm. even at Texas, you can't just start writing checks with nothing coming in. Yeah. Can you tell South Florida, look, we don't know what your testing protocols are. You're obviously at a hot spot state, getting guys on a plane, bringing them over here, having to test them. We'll just give you the one point nine million, and we won't play this game. We know you need. We know you're counting on that nearly two million dollars for your athletic budget, but we'll just we'll just give you this money and not play this game. Mm. Instead, could Chris Conte and Tom Herman call down the road to I-35 because UTSA is now missing a non-conference game because they had grambling on their non-conference schedule. Point. The SWAC has postponed football. They're they're going to do the spring model, right, guys? I guess mm-hmm. that's what the, the the SWAC is doing and. Uh, I think the you know the Ivy League is doing the same thing, but no swag football, so we we don't get we don't get grambling. Uh, so UTSA needs a game. Texas at that point would need an opener. You say, hey, we're in the same university system. It's all the University of Texas yeah, system. It's easy. Uh, we have in Austin. You probably have a pretty good feel for what's going on in San Antonio. Do you guys want to come up by 35 and play on August 29th? Yep, be easier to test them too. Yeah. Before, you, know, you don't have that. to get on a plane. Yep. They're on a bus. Man, that's a great idea. Yeah, if you want to do it. I, I know yeah. that's not going to happen, but I thought about it. I'm like, if you're Tom Herman, isn't that the best great case idea. scenario? Because then you get into a competition, and you're kind of changing the variables as much as you can. And we know the incubation period for this thing is what? It's 14, 14 days, days, but ideally it's like two to, two to five days, really. It's really closer to two to five days. Well, so I think for most people, but they, it can be as long as 14 days. To be days. contagious. And then if you're, if, if you're Tom Herman, that weak buffer gives you an idea. Okay, these are the guys we know we're going to have for the LSU game. That well, gives you I, a I love the idea of the play. August 29th start. Giving yeah, even yourself, if it is USF. Yeah, giving yourself, just giving yourself more cushion, anticipating a disruption. You know... Just like you said, CDC sitting around plotting what could go wrong most of the time. Okay, yeah. what could go wrong? How do I keep the worst <laughs> case scenario to from me happening? Means almost yeah, LSU though. Right, he's like, working his way backwards from doomsday scenarios. That's mm-hmm. easier right now than yeah. trying to work out all the different hypotheticals that could happen. Right, so I think for. 
for for Texas, I'm with you. Just like Oklahoma, who naturally had, I think, two bye weeks built into their first three mm-hmm. weeks of the season. But then they added another one when they moved their game to August 29th. I think giving yourself cushion to deal with whatever issues arise, which you know some are going to arise because mm-hmm. we've never been here before and you just – you can't anticipate everything, then you can adjust the protocols, adjust your guidelines, and make a better plan. Just so you make sure you're malleable. So I think just giving yourself time to adjust. Yeah, and you want time to adjust. A good option to have there that you can be able to adjust like you're talking about. And, you know, if things aren't going well, you actually don't even have to have a non-con or that type of first game to where whatever can make it last for the season but if you are going to play the first game almost like separating it from a week because you don't know the volatility of that first week and how quickly the turnaround is and you don't want to come into Wednesday and not have Ellinger you know because it's just the other one before you might get lucky but that's why I mean if we're talking about the way that the conferences it seemed like Big 12 and SEC have been the ones sort of holding out and just waiting before they make any decisions and but they know Texas LSU is such a big game and it's so early on that they don't want that one to go away and you've heard both ones at least conversations around both conferences talking about just even if worst case scenario do a plus one type conference format and that's obviously to keep the one marquee non-conference game that everybody's talking about that brings in that tier one national money which a game like say UTSA or South Florida necessarily don't make that much money for the universities Mm -hmm. across the board now they do for the lesser ones so it would help out one like say if South Florida wants to keep it so so many different things that they're weighing across the board but I think when it all comes down to they want to make sure they have the conference season they want to make sure they have Texas LSU and I bet everything else can come or go or move or do whatever needs to do to make those work as we said well first off we know the Big 12 is never proactive on anything so they're going to wait until the absolute (laughs) this is the only time where it sounds responsible the clock the clock will be at 11 59 59 before Bob Bowlesby knows he's got to make a decision that's just the way this league works but to your point, Matt, and I agree, preserving the LSU game, that's why the talk of the plus one model has come up. And honestly, guys, I think that's where we're going to be headed because I think it's just going to be too, you know, too risky to, you know, try to get in some of these non-conference games and these payday games. And there's, you know, loopholes in the contracts to where you can get out of those. But I think yeah. I, my gut tells me that's what we're going to be looking at is Big 12 schools playing a 10-game season, the non-conference games with the plus one. No, I, I I agree with that model too. I mean, it's a it's a sensible model if you, you know, come time. down to the yeah, worst case scenario and you get that time to adjust. I wonder, yeah. I mean, if you have that LSU game, which is is that the second game of the season mm-hmm. for Texas, and then the plus one after, so that would give them two weeks in between their first conference game. But you'd have no, you'd or would they adjust wait. the schedule? You'd, you'd, well, right. that's the thing, though, right? right? Don't you have the U? If you take out the U, who is it? UTEP? Who is it? Who we playing? UTEP. UTEP. Yeah. The schedule is going to go USF, LSU, UTEP. UTEP. So I wonder if they go plus one. You just, I guess, that just gives you time. So you want that bye week in between. You're basically you losing. You're adjust. basically you're basically opening this opening the season in Baton Rouge against LSU on September 12th. Bye week, and then you K-State. get a week, and then you get a week off, and then you go to K State, and you need that. And then to go to K State, then Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. we like we said, you need that. You need that week off after the trip to LSU to okay, let's test everybody. Let's see if we have any positives. So that way, because if somebody's positive, you know they're out for two weeks. So. You know they're gonna miss the next two games. Yeah, and that'll be you traveling on the road. And so. that'll be a road game at K State and the OU game that yeah. somebody would miss. And just in case nobody's been paying as close attention to Florida and why the South Florida thing's such a big deal, when you look at like the Marlins, it's according to Ken Rosenthal, one team in one situation ended up. 16 players and two coaches, Yeah, according to Rosenthal. I mean, that means the whole locker room. It's that's how infectious and, it is. Yes, and, yeah. and exactly. And that's, I mean, if you're going to have your team taking on a team full of players from that area and y'all are both in hot spot areas in the demographic that's the most potent mm-hmm. right now that has the most vol- volatility involved, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right, so uh, anything else you guys want to say COVID-related before we get on to some, some real football stuff? No. Just um, you guys like my UTSA idea? I love the UTSA idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. It actually is. I mean, to me, 
trying to keep it as regional as possible would be the goal. That's what I think the goal is for the plus one, two, that your conference is regional, but we know that's not always the case. You, you, know, you got West Virginia and stuff like that in your conference, but for the most part, you'd be traveling around the state of Texas and in Oklahoma and right here in middle America, and that's good because at least you'll be able to control a limit exposure. Yeah. And I, I thought about this, Rod, because I looked at future schedules in terms of where opponents are coming from. Uh, you know, Wyoming, Texas has Wyoming coming in in a couple of years for a non-con game, but it, it actually works out well because all of your group of five non-conference games, uh, I don't think any of those are on the road. I think they might, they've down the road, they've got another trip to NRG to play Rice. Okay. But everything else, it's like Texas State, UTEP, UTSA, yeah. Louisiana Monroe, formerly Louisiana Lafayette, now just Louisiana. That's still weird to wrap my head mm-hmm. around. But basically, you're keeping it you're all. in the region right yeah, here. Yeah, Texas, Louisiana. Like, basically, yep. around your border states, that's basically where you're scheduling. Which I like that. You're not conference. Yeah, I think it helps you it. in terms of just getting exposure in your fertile recruiting grounds where you need to have the most influence. And with, you know, with there's 12 FBS schools in the state of Texas. Yeah. So it's enough. Yeah, it's, a, it's enough. So yeah. if you can so play if somebody, you, different if you can't get yeah, yeah. UTEP, UTEP, Texas State, UTSA, North Rice, Texas. U of H, North Texas, yeah. if you can't get one of those, on. it isn't uh, Abilene Christian, I think, is going to they FBS. They're, they're, oh. they're on the way. Are they converting? Yeah. So that'll be that'll be another. So that'll be seven wow. G five schools in state. If you can't schedule one of those, yeah, go schedule a Tulsa or Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, we don't, we don't like your age. Yeah. You're still holding a grudge about them damn. That's, that's your fans. that's your did, did fault, you Rod. <laughs> that's your fault. Last time <laughs> Texas played them, were you on the field? Yeah, you I were. Did. I nice. played. That was the last. Yeah, that was when they the had Roberts, the, the Robertson Stadium with fiasco the shaky, of 2001. Yep. Shady stands that they had to makeshift stands. Did y'all convince Mac to go across the street to Frenchies after that game was over? I don't know. No, I don't think we got Frenchies. That's a damn shame. We should have got Frenchies. Right there. Right there. Damn it. Mm, that's, that's upsetting. Now I'm mad. Well, now I'm mad about bad. something that happened. Nobody th- broke curfew. Who would have been football <laughs> ops then? Would that have been Cleve Bryant's job? That would have been Cleve. Oh, I need to call Cleve. Damn it. Well, now him. you have a reason to call him. Like, I will. Hey, you remember that U of H came back in no, 01? Why couldn't we go get French? I think he texted me not too long ago. I need to hit him up. There you go. Uh, so let's talk some football, Rod. And I want to start with you because you brought this up on the triple option as we talk defense. We were offense heavy last week, so let's go to defense and talk Chris Ash. Uh, when you look at this defense, to me, everybody talks about the four-man front and the change of the four-man front yeah. and the fact that it's going to help your defensive line. But mm-hmm. I'm more fascinated by what's happening on the back end with your coverages with Chris Ash. And we know typically he has played. You know, press quarters coverage, that's kind of been his, well, we know everybody, you've got different coverages. Everybody, yeah, nobody, and a different technique. Nobody's just going to run the same deal. No. But you were talking about uh, shadow technique and that basically kind of being kind of what Chris Ash is going to hang his hat on. Yeah. Uh, number one, give everybody, since we are a football theory podcast, uh, you don't even have to break it down in layman terms, uh, kind of go over uh, shadow coverage, number one. And then number two, uh, does Texas have the personnel to pull that off? Oh, yeah. I mean, you just want corners that are physical enough to be able to reroute the wide receivers. They'll be in a position, and it'll be a, like I said, it'll shadow quarters coverage. So before they drop back into their, is their zone, their specific responsibility, they'll probably be reading number two after they re- reroute the wide receiver, get their hands on them. I'm assuming they're leveraged. They're going to force them inside so they can look through the wide receiver, usually especially if that wide receiver is running vertical. You want to be able to carry number one if number two is going vertical. That's the you know the four verts principle that you're going to see a ton. You just see a ton of it in the Big 12 play because it's a staple of the air raid. So you know I think in that situation you know that's what you'll probably that's what the the coverage is designed to be able to defend is that that four verts because you'll have four guys back in coverage. But rerouting that rod receiver is kind of the key to the whole shadow uh, technique for him. Before you drop back, your number one priority is rerouting the wide receiver and then almost being able to simultaneously. And like I said, I don't, I don't know for a fact. I'm just going off what cover four is in quarters coverage. you got to get your eyes to number two and be able to read what number two is doing. And basically, the way you're talking about uh, rerouting them basically becomes the domino for the rest of the coverage to understand does. who's it does. assigned. Because it gives that safety a chance. Because everybody to, has to see the same thing and understand yeah. it, but it basically can become a domino effect and become a lot simpler than the concept 
it seems to be very confusing and you see how fast everything's happening but when one action happens It'll the next action it, then, yeah, and then and yeah. it, it actually can be something that across the board can be quickly I'm, grasped I'm assuming it probably end up becoming a matchup zone uh, quarters coverage too where basically you end up playing man coverage toward mm-hmm. the tail end of it yeah. That, but that rerouting that wide receiver is not only good for a, a, a ton of reasons but I think mainly it is to give that safety time to go through his reads mm-hmm. so that receiver doesn't declare immediately before the safety can go through his progression. That That is why the safety's role in a quarters coverage scheme slash system, what have you, that's why I love it for this Texas defense because of who your two primary safeties are going to be with Chris Brown and Caden Stearns. You've yeah. got two guys really instinctive football players, smart football players, your safeties, as you said, Rod, in a typical, and, and Chris Ash will put his own spin on it, but exactly. typ- typically in a quarters cover system and a cover four, your safeties are typically read players. That's why, mm. I mean, if you look at, and I've I've gone to two clinic lectures now with Chris Ash, not going to watch one online and attended another oh, one yeah. physically, but you watch a lot Give of his, nuggets. you watch a lot of the tape, man, and you see those safeties being read players. It is Go back and watch some of his Ohio State when he was the Ohio State defensive coordinator. Von Bell made a ton of plays mm-hmm. at Ohio State, and a lot of a lot of that training tape is Von Bell being a read player. And it comes down to that safety. So a lot of times, especially and, and in the Big Ten, you do see more run action than you will in the Big Twelve. Yeah. But a lot of it is, hey, read, react, boom, go. You're going to fill the alley. You're you're a bo- you're a box defender now on the fly, or you know, depending yeah. on what the read is, you know, opponent specific, that could change. But yeah, you need. You need physical safeties, yes, but you need instinctive guys. You need smart guys. Totally <laughs> and Texas has two of those guys, like I said, with Chris Brown and Caden Stearns. Is, um, okay, so is, is B.J. Foster just going to be relegated to safety or nickel now? So apparently he's going to work. He's lost at, some weight. He's going to work at that spur position. Well, and I heard you guys talk about this on the triple option. He's lost and, some and weight. Here, here's my and, take. And Adam Moore has gained like 25 pounds. Is yeah. that reality? Well, is that real? Chris Adam Moore didn't play last year like 180 or whatever he was listed at. He was playing closer to 200. He was playing closer to 200 last, last year? That was yeah. his listing as he came right. in as a the spring right. before From what something. I was told. From what I was told. I hope so. But, uh, you know, you look at weight gains Rod and be like, oh, like DeMarvion Overshone came in. I don't think he was like probably underweight, what you would think he would be. And this is one offseason where I don't know how much you can put, how much stock you can put into weight gains and weight losses because that's not what the staff designed to happen. That's just kind of what happened based on whatever guys did while they were by themselves. And it would make sense if B.J. Foster lost weight because he didn't get any winter conditioning because of the shoulder injury, and then whenever he was ready to start working out, everybody was at home. That's true. So B.J. Foster is basically – this is what I keep saying, like why B.J. Foster is the ultimate X factor on defense because we keep trying to figure out how he's going to fit in. Until they got back to these walkthrough workouts, where the phase they're in now, yeah, Chris Ash had literally seen B.J. Foster do nothing. He had mm-hmm. not seen him do anything on a football field. Hadn't even seen him line up somewhere. So he conceptually, he kind of figured out what he could do with B.J. Foster. But there's no way Chris Ash could have said, "Okay, I'm going to have B.J. Foster do this." Like, no, got to get him on the field and watch him run. But yeah. I, It'll be B.J. Foster and Chris Adamore at that spur position. I like the fact that B.J. Foster lost weight. I think he, you know, I think it'll help him get a little step. I think you need a step at nickel. Adamore, that worries me. He made two, two, two fifteen. Yeah, guys can get wound a little tight. I, I, I'm wor- two fifteen. That worries me a little bit because I remember when P.J. Lock gained some weight when he played the nickel like that. Mm-hmm. That second year he played the nickel and he lost a little bit of a step. I, when I Did play- it you? I played the nickel pretty heavy, but I played in a Big 12 yeah, that was that a run-heavy conference. But I, I probably played close to 200 pounds when yeah, I was but nickel. but then you took and, that weight and off. And then when I went to corner, I, I was around 185 or 183, you know what I mean? Because I wanted to, I wanted to be able to run. Mm-hmm. And that corner, you got to be able to keep up. And these days is more of a corner than it yeah, is. Yeah, so I'm a little worried that, you know, and I like to say, I like that B.J. Foster slimmed down a little bit because I think it'll give him a, the step you need at nickel. A little worried about Adam Moore being a little heavy at that nickel position, man, the Big 12. I mean, you, sometimes you put your best receiver in the yeah. slot, let him go at it. And that's that's one of the challenges, like, because that spur, even though I Chris Ash does yeah. value coverage ability there, maybe more than Todd Orlando did, 
Rod, you know the nature of the nickel position. That thing still has to function as a linebacker sometimes. It is. That's why you need. Mm -hmm. That's why it's your job as a coach to find a guy who has a physical presence. You ain't always. Quandre Diggs was a great nickel Nickel. back, Eddie. Mm -hmm. Quandre Diggs was like five, seven and a half. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But he had a physical presence, and I think BJ Foster has a physical presence about him. I don't. I think at one ninety five, I think he's still a head hunter. Oh, you know what I mean? That's just what he is. He just plays the game like that. Both of them from Angleton. Maybe there's something to that, right? Yes. Jammer too. Maybe it's just something about them boys. Yeah. They just like to hit. But you got to <laughs> find that nickel that's willing to hit. And I was when I was coming in. I mean, I, I wasn't a big hitter, but I was a sure tackler. Like I, you know, what I mean, I, I stick my nose in there, and I did a ton. I had to. I took on fullbacks and pulling offensive linemen from Nebraska as a young nickel. Shoulder issues. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Later on, if I defend the reason, um, you know, what I mean? so you got to have somebody with a physical, you know, nasty Nate. Physical presence, but not mm-hmm. a big guy. Nasty, they wasn't big, skinny actually. Actually, physical that reminds me of Amora almost body yeah. type wise. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Huff Daddy, you know, Huff Daddy wasn't necessarily huge, but he had a physical. So yeah, I, I don't need a, I don't need a nickel back to necessarily be a guy that's bulked up. And, you know, an Isaiah Simmons at nickel that looks like a linebacker can run like a DB. I just need a guy that's going to put his damn nose in there and be physical when he has to be. But more importantly, you need an instinctual player. So maybe they like the instincts of Adam Moore, but I also like the instincts of B.J. Foster when he's in that box as a at linebacker depth. He's great. We all know that. He was one of your leaders in, 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 in negative, forcing negative plays mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's been healthy, you can look at the big – go back to his freshman year, the big games Texas won. Look at how many havoc plays B.J. Foster was responsible Agreed. for. I mean, yeah. if the defense has – Matt, what would you say is an average for havoc plays in a game? Probably, let's say, 12, 12 to 15. I'd say maybe a little less, but that sounds about right. Okay, so let's say you get 10 havoc plays in a game. I think B.J. Foster was responsible for like eight havoc plays in the Sugar Bowl win over Georgia. Yeah. No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. No, I know. Something he's a playmaker. I like him. His instincts. I like both. No, I like. I like Adam Moore too. Like the the percentage. It was like sixty percent of your havoc plays were B.J. Foster. I love it. I love both of those guys. I just worry a little heavy at nickel. That's all. Yeah, um, but he could be a freak and carry it well. Who knows? So Rod, I want to continue this. We started this last week, and when you hear Chris Ash talk about defense, he talks about it's about it's about players, not plays, and be simple but not predictable, and when this off this league offensively is so dang dynamic and oh, the offensive minds in this league, even though you've lost Cliff Kingsbury, you've lost Dana Holgerson, the offensive minds in this league are still really good. Really good. Is simple is simple the best approach? Yeah, for Texas it is. Uh, I think for Texas because you have the luxury of being able to recruit the top athletes at different at each position. Uh, for you, you just want these guys to play fast. You're recruiting, you're recruiting speed. You're recruiting guys who are dynamic and explosive, and you know they are more explosive, more dynamic than their opponents, and you should have the top strength and conditioning staff to keep them performing at that peak. So you want them playing fast. And for on defense, it's all about how, mu- how you you – know, football period, how you process information. You want them processing – as little information as possible. The offense is already going to give them a ton of stuff to process, pre-snap motions and shifts, and, uh, you know, they, they the quarterback is going to be able to check, and they'll have bunch formations. They'll have all these cheat codes that they're going to use. So you know he's going to be processing information anyway. You want to be able to slow the game down for them. That's why I like the shadow technique, right? These guys are going to play the shadow technique, and they'll all learn their own way of doing it. But it, it because you can replicate it over and over again, you can master that technique. You can master your shadow technique as a corner because you're going to be doing the same thing mostly almost every snap, and that allows you to perfect something or just come as close as you can to it, and these guys have the ability to do that. So they get to play fast, and they also get to replicate same thing over and over and just get really good at the two or three things we ask you to do in coverage the most. If you can get good, that's what Bill Belichick does. Coverage up. ninjas. You know what like I mean? You're literally, yeah. it's karate at that point. Like, yeah. like you said, the less thinking that you do, that's exactly what yeah. you need because if you know that your advantage is speed against each other, the last only thing that can really slow you down is your mind Amen. in those situations. And if you're against a team that knows how to manipulate the minds, then yep. that's that chess battle that we talk about all the time and that's that conference that we live in. But like you're talking about, if you get those extinct, it's the marriage of the two and finding the right players and that's yep. sort of why right now when you finally have 
a staff that's been able to bring in kids and you can really hopefully get past this whole cycle we've seen and get to a point where there's this growth and developing and have confidence and then mm-hmm. you can actually see those things on the field play out because I mean you could tell in watching some of those previous teams like I guess now what you would always want a defense to look like it's like that 05 defense but like if you think about 08 going into 08 they, there were questions now Muschamp's a huge difference maker but how different that defense can quickly look and I really think it was the confidence though because like you've watched that 08 documentary that Emmanuel Acho did on that season and they talk about that offseason of 07 and the post McDuff era and then whenever Muschamp what he brought in and how quickly you could see that team was firing on all cylinders and you're in the flux of a ch- so much change and volatility but if you can get that marrying of confidence and now you're talking about freshman players at key positions on that team new coaches mm-hmm. but they were confident and I mean by the time you get to a Texas OU game you look like you're performing at an optimal level and those are the type of things that if you can get confidence in college football it's very rare very rarely do you get those teams that go out there and perform as you would say like it feels like the games are easier than the practices that we're getting and that's where you're hoping the Texas practices can get mm-hmm. to. Rod, let me ask you just a f- football philosophy question. What is the point of routinely either giving opposing receivers a free release or just immediately playing bail technique? Um you mean as like a staple and doing it a lot? I mean, as a change up, it's always good to have those things yeah, in your but, repertoire. But you mean as a staple, like, like do it? As, like Todd Orlando did it a lot. Yeah, uh, I I don't really. And, and Coach Aquino wasn't a big fan of the bail technique when you did play off. Like, I know let me that, let me rephrase the question. You're either too many times I saw Texas corners either bailing on the snap or. You're, turn into you're, a track meet where they don't get their hands on them and don't yeah, run. They just turn or, and run. Or you're giving a guy. Six seven yards of cushion off the line of scrimmage. Well, yeah. that's an easy. Well, as much quick game as everybody's running on. That's an easy throw for the quarterback. Yeah. No, I, I actually and I you know I've been studying this thing for a while because Bill Belichick notoriously you know he's not a big fan and saving either of like the backpedal. Mm-hmm. You know they'd rather their guy shuffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they think it gives it, it keeps you closer to the receiver because yeah. you don't want there to be too much cushion. You do want the receiver to close the cushion to a certain extent, but you also want to be able to stay on top of the shoulder and be able to break to the to the deep route and break on all the different routes on the route tree. But you still don't want to get beat by that curl and that hitch and that slant over and over again. So, you know, it, it depends on, you know, the different type of off coverage you play. I agree. I want an, an aggressive player when they're playing off coverage. That's why, you know, Deshaun Jameson – even mm-hmm. when he plays off, and sometimes I'll see him off like seven yards sometimes. You know, a ball or seven, or eight a, yards. a basher or somebody like he, that that can play he's, off. He's slow playing it, man. You can tell he's taking the three-step read. The keys, he's, get, he's getting ready to jump around, which is why you can probably get him on the double move a lot. Mm-hmm. But that guy's great recovery speed, so he plays the game aggressively. That's why I think he doesn't even fit the prototype of the corners. The other guys are Kenyatta Watson and Jalen Green. Right, those guys are long and rangy. Even Josh Thompson, right, long, rangy, legion yeah. of boom corners. Deshaun Jameson ain't that, but they like his instincts at corner because he's aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I think at a corner, I would, I don't like the bail technique other than a change of pace because it's not aggressive enough. A free release for a wide receiver, God, it makes life so easy. Yeah, I mean that's why we we played so much bump and run with Carl Boris because he couldn't stand a free release. Coach Aquino couldn't stand I just a free release. Because I think that's the, you can argue that is the toughest job for a receiver, if you're playing, if you if you're aggressive enough against him, because he can give away fifty or at least dismiss fifty percent of the routes based on if if I force him to take an inside or an mm-hmm. outside release. If he's forcing an outside release, well, hell, man, I know he's got to get to the outside. It's His like coach right. told him he's got to get to the outside of numbers. Why else is he spending a second and a half, two seconds, fighting me on the line of scrimmage trying to get to the outside, yeah. right? And if he's going, if he goes voluntarily inside and he goes way inside, then I know, all right, this route, he's eliminated what? He's eliminated the, the out route. He's eliminated the hitch. He's eliminated, you know what I mean? You As a DB, you go through your mind and what they eliminate, and that's why I love being aggressive with the line of scrimmage because you can eliminate routes on the route tree almost. And to me, I got to the point after talking to Shannon about it, I would, man, I got so good at it. In my head, as I was playing bump and run, 
I would eliminate the routes mm-hmm. to the point where I knew at seven, eight yards, if he's still going full speed, all right, man, all we got is the six. Maybe he's got the curl, but he's probably going post. And based on his body language, he's going he's going to the deep route. You know, he, yeah. he's only yeah. got four routes he he's can run now. Down to three, down to two. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, like, I, I would just count him off. And then once we got to 12 yards, I'm gone. I'm running. I'm sprinting. Because if you're going to run a 15-yard comeback. You're catching up. And you better be a hell of a quarterback on me. If you're going to run yeah. that NFL 15-yard comeback on me, God bless you because I am I got a great T-step and I come out of my breaks real quick. Yeah. And, and that receiver's probably got to go through me to do it because I'm probably on his outside upfield shoulder. So you got to just learn it as a DB, but I'm with you. Be aggressive. Do not let them get free releases. It's ridiculous. And the free release idea when you're talking about it there, now first I think it really goes deeply into the psychology possibly of the coach and who's more fearful because nowadays explosives and the deep ball but if you're talking about just actually in the play the way you just did and broke it down, it's almost as if it's like another addition after pre-snap motion. Like, what can you do to simplify it for the defense or complicate it? And it's like we've talked so much in the last month about pre-snap motion and how much it occupies the mind. Well, you know, going up in a bump and run and getting in there and eliminating those certain routes and those things, just one more step now instead of pre-snap, you're into the snap. And if you can then in that first millisecond or first half second totally eliminate like you said 50% of it it again is getting to a point where you're in an advantageous situation but if you reverse it and don't do it as well as if you didn't have the pre-snap motion now you're just volunteering again something that's going to be more simplified for the opponent which is just Uh, it, it seems so simple to point out, but these type of things, when you layer them and stack them up on them, you can see how you can really be susceptible and become very predictable to even vulnerable if you aren't doing just a couple process things that happen in the first half second of a play if you're talking about pre-snap or just bump and run. I will say teaching bump and run is a lost art form. Bump and run is hard on coaches because coaches don't really know how to teach it. They think they do, but they don't. They don't. And I think that is also tough. Like Texas played bump and run last year, and they didn't play it very well, right? They let guys get free releases sometimes. They'd not get their hands on them. The risk-reward, it's a lot more risk. What's the point in going up there if you're going to make it a track meet? Mm -hmm. Get your hands on the guy, reroute the guy. So I think a lot of it is a lot of coaches, they don't teach it well. So guys – Guys don't – the efficacy of it, guys don't necessarily execute it well, and then coaches go, we got to abandon it. It gives that them confirmation bias at that point. Yeah. If you are inept in, at teaching the technique or are afraid, basically fear-based that you of what could possibly happen, then you go and weigh, well, if I go and do, do a bump and run, then the risk-reward, if they don't execute it well, now if I'm teaching it well, I'm going to have confidence that they will execute it well, but – if they are fearful that they aren't teaching it well or it isn't big, picked up, they're just eliminating it because the risk-reward when you play bump and run can get burnt. Okay. So it gives them that confirmation bias not to even do it. Rod, let's talk about uh, – I want to talk about the defensive front. And I had Tim Crowder on Light the Tower. Tim just hosted a D-line Ooh, retreat yeah. for the uh, for, a for Texas guys. That was a good interview. Uh, I appreciate I heard that. that. And but I asked him about, okay, for a D lineman, what is it like going and, – and all not every front is created equal. And based on scheme, you can be asked to do different things. But we know Todd Orlando with that three-man front and the four eye ends pinched inside mm-hmm. or, you know, your four eye alignment, you're basically occupying blockers at that point. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of two-gap stuff. And, Rod, name me a defensive lineman that enjoys two-gapping. Uh, there's probably a very short list. Oh, very short. Casey Hampton. Maybe Casey Hampton because Casey knew <laughs> that's what his job was. Yeah, it's, but, it's, yeah, it's yeah, tough. It's a very – Sam Adams. It's a very it's a short thankless, list of guys. That, thankless job. Like, oh, we're two-gapping. Okay, I got that. I can be here all day. Yeah. But, you know, most guys want to be one-gap penetrators. And Tim compared – he's like, look, go what they were doing compared to what they're doing now, he's like – it's like you've been in prison for twelve years, and then suddenly you just get released. <laughs> like it's just—it's so—it's so liberating. It's so funny. But I mean, that's totally different role. Stylistically, when you look at and Rod, this is what give I think you and I talking off air, on air, and and the three of us have talked. I think this is what gives you should give you as a Texas fan confidence in Chris Ash. Chris Ash talks a lot about teaching football, teaching conceptual mm-hmm. football, being a fundament like fundamentals over everything else, and you yep. hear coaches preach that but I mean I feel like when Chris Ash says it 
you almost believe it. Like he, I've, I've heard him talk very, very little about scheme. It's almost been exclusively about fundamentals and how they want to teach tackling and be a good tackling team. And let's not focus on what wins you games. Focus on what loses you games. And let's not do these things. So that gives you confidence. But from a scheme stylistic standpoint, he wants a disruptive defensive front. He wants a front that's going to get after it. And whether you hear Chris Ash talk about it, Mark Hagan, Oscar Giles, they're going to give these guys opportunities to cut loose. We're we're about to find out, Rod. We're about to find out how talented is this defensive line? Because we've seen we've seen flashes, we've heard behind the mm-hmm. scenes Marcus Bimage's weight room numbers, or how good we've seen Joseph Osai flash, or Keandre Coburn, who Tim Wademan said he was three fifty and looks like he's three twenty five. Just some yeah, cats crazy. are just built differently. Like that's crazy. We're we're about to see just how really good, deep, and talented this defensive line is. I think it's going to pleasantly surprise. I think it's going to be a strength for Texas this year because doesn't it have to be? It, yeah, it does have to be. Well, the secondaries I, should be a strength, too, even though last year uh, the numbers don't really reflect that. I mean, you have so many veteran players back there that were highly mm-hmm. recruited and highly touted. But the defensive line, though, with Keandre Coburn, who's basically still going to end up being your kind of two-gap guy, uh, and then it took Horn Graham. I'm not sure if they're moving him inside or not, but I heard Crowder talking about check, that. Yeah. And he, he's up at 300-plus pounds now. That's a guy I think last year that started to late in the season. You start to see flashes from him more consistently. And then you got Osai, who's going to bring down the jack roll, who's going to be that hybrid outside linebacker DN. That guy, I'm telling you, man, he's going to – I think he could be the Big 12 defensive player of the year. I think it's possible. Yeah. If he's going to play the role basically that Craig Navar used for him, Craig Navar used for him, and that Alamo Bowl, which is that hybrid outside linebacker position, if he does that on every game – Knocking on wood, there's a season. I don't know if there's going to be a, anybody in the Big 12 that has a better stat line than that guy in the end. And his his upside is tremendous because he's only been playing football for, I don't know, like 10, 11 years, not even that long. Yeah. Probably. So <laughs> um, I, I like that move. And I, and I don't know about the other defensive ends. That Marquez Bimmage, is that already a done deal? Mm-hmm. I hear people talking about him and how high his ceiling is. I don't know how much I've seen it, but he hadn't played enough to give me a true sample size. It hasn't been in the scheme. I mean, if you're telling, if you're saying this guy is your best pass rusher, yet you've got him in a scheme where he's two gapping and occupying blockers. Yeah. Then that's that's not a good use of your personnel. No productive. And, and then you got depth. You got Tavondre Sweat. You got other guys that we look at are looking like they could uh, contribute. Uh, Daniel Carson, Amoro Ojimo. Amoro Ojimo. Forget about him. He's yep. a youngster too. And if we're talking, I mean, just looking at the line compared to last year to this year, then being in positions where they sort of can maximize their own roles within the defense. And then in addition to it, when we're talking about just how last year with three down linemen, what it was made for, if we're talking just on the statistical aspect of the D-line, the numbers are going to be through the roof compared to what they were last year. Because not only are they in a more advantageous situation for them personally and their roles and maybe more fit and a year developed, but in addition to it, you just end up having systemically always four down lines. You're going to have more of the sacks, those havoc plays, things like that are going to come from those guys. And then having a guy like Coburn, when you haven't had an elite pass rusher and an elite D tackle next to each other or on the same line in a long time. Like you can talk back and start looking at NFL guys together. Like I guess the 2013 ish area or 2011 around there, whenever you had some, but since then it's been pretty tough to have a D in and D tackle that you could both look at and be like, these are top end guys that anybody in our conference wants. You know, I was looking at some of the numbers and the presence that guy can give you. I was looking back at the 09 defense. Like the year Sergio Kendall was a finalist for the Butkus Award and the Hendricks Award and was an All-American. Sergio Kendall only had five and a half sacks that That's year. That's crazy. Yeah, because Lamar, Lamar Houston, I think, was at ten and a half or 11. Yeah. Sam Ocho, I think, was at 10. Yeah. So, But the, because the presence of that guy, you're going to free up stuff for yep. a, a lot of other people. Here, oh, and sorry, I, know, I can do that. Look, we know sacks can be overrated. Like Tom Herman said, it, we talked about it on the show for mm-hmm. years. Like You can't look at volume sacks. But, man, if you're Joseph Osirod, you can't. You can't go from game three to the bowl game with no sacks. Agreed. And and let's be fair though. Is that what happened basically? Yeah, that is what happened. That's not all his fault. Oh yeah, exactly. Not his fault That's what I'm saying. In fairness, mm-hmm. that wasn't all his fault. That wasn't all his fault. He was in coverage way too much, way too much. 
I hope Chris Ash doesn't have anything where he's asking Osai to go 30 yards down the field. <laughs> if it is, stop if, at five yards and go rush the quarterback. <laughs> if it is, it better be like in the game and you say, look, this dude has like a 40-inch vert. We need him to go knock a ball down or something. I, yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. That's the coaching challenge. They'll be The coaches will be trying to get Osai into coverage somehow, and he'll just be trying to make sure that he's pass rushing or run stuffing. That'll be the chess match happening between the OC and the DC. I, that's say, something we can eliminate. Just don't even have him be a guy that's an option in pass. <laughs> and and then, he's, then they won't even be scheming ways to make him drop. I don't I'll know say, how the jack works, so I don't True. Really I'm know. just. Yeah. I'll say this, and this will take us into next week when we talk some more big picture stuff. If you're asking me right now, what would I take for Texas's record? You give me the option. You say you can take ten and two or eight and four. I'm taking eight and four. I just think there's a lot of stuff working against this program right now. Mm. I just don't feel good, Rod. Wow, we Sam Ellinger's last season. Yeah, eight and four. If you're telling me ten and two or eight and four, I'm going to side with eight and four. It's a disappointment. But there's the big, as you would say, Rod, the big Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj size butt. The one thing I do feel good about, this defense will be better, and it will be a top 25 defense by any oh. metric you look at. Oh, it's yeah. going to be. I think everybody – I mean, I feel, I'll history be, tells you that. If it's, if it's not at least a top 30 defense, I'll be very, very disappointed. Uh, yeah, considering, I mean, the, the conference, and the conference is not what it was last year in terms of the um, the – well, I, I say that because of Spencer Rattler, but <laughs> it doesn't matter who's quarterbacking for Oklahoma. But I assume Spencer Rattler at least starts slower than Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, right now Sam Ellinger should be considered the best quarterback in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quarterbacks you're going up against in the Big 12, other than Brock Purdy, um, you know, they are not considered nationally um, to be very prolific. Charlie Brewer gets taken out of the conversation because of his health. Charlie People Brewer is taken know. out of the convo. Yeah, so I think just because of the competition level, like who are the, the, the best wide receivers in the conference after Tylen Wallace? You know, it's not what it was two, two years Parchment ago. Andrew Parchment in Kansas, true. like legitimately. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. The skill positions, they, you know, in terms of wide receivers aren't what they, they were. Yeah. So I do think because Sets of that. It's up well for senior Sam. It does set up well for senior Sam, but it sets up well for the Texas defense, too. You don't have to – yeah, I mean, right. LSU last year, different than LSU this year. Yep. Playing the best offense in the history of college football also hurts you in terms of your defensive ranking. So I think mm-hmm. Texas, just based on that alone, based on history and all the experience coming back, I'm with you. I think it's a top 30 defense. If not, then maybe Chris Ash is not the guy we thought he was going to be. Yeah, when Texas faced two of the top 10 co- college football offenses ever last ever. year. Yeah, you're right. Even, even, even if he is, even That's if he is. It's a big 12. Yeah. Don't assume it'll be that in 2021 if history's taught us anything. No, but that's how we know he's not the guy. He's right. got to stop the cycle. Right. That Vance Bedford, Manny Diaz, and also Todd Orlando ended up being, you know, victims of. He's got to stop that cycle. So basically the the bar for Chris Ash is you better be elite in year one. Just don't be god-awful in year two. Man, can he be better in year two? That would be awesome. Yeah. If you're good, oh, you can be, good in year one and even better in year two. It'll be telling of our program that it's headed in the right direction. But if not, you're back where you were. You could be dealing with the same <laughs> cycle again. Well, at least we'll know where we're at. Oh, man. And then maybe we'll just all, we'll just all, it'll be up at that point. We'll just all know what the deal is. If we're dealing with the same cycle again, Tom Herman won't be here long. Uh, I agree. Agreed. Yeah. Because that defense has got to be good after Sam leaves. Because if it's not, whoever it takes over him is not instantly going to be, you know, a showstopper. That's an, that's an indictment. That's an indictment on player acquisition and or player development. Yep. And you hiring new coaches. And that's a the setup for around. like almost a 5-7 and seven if your defense falls yeah. off and you have a new freshman quarterback or something. That's going to be tough. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we'll pick it up next week, and we'll talk some more big picture stuff, maybe even get some record predictions. Who knows? Maybe Rod can talk me off of being on 8-4 and four if you're giving me the option. I'm at 9-3 and, and three right now, so I'm not far from you. splitting the difference. I'm at 9-3. and three. 
Matt, fun, thanks, for, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049, 1019 AM 1260 streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B on the triple option with RBKD each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. And myself and Craig Way each and every morning from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to subscribe to Longhorn Blitz by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, just search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get us staged recruiting and the flagship. And don't forget to like us and leave us a review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. There's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.